I don't know if it's my castrating bitch fetish or what. Radio Drome. With the Halloween season coming up, it's another Radio Drome. I'm Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Cecil T. I certainly am. And back this week from Canadian Thanksgiving is Peter. Peter, bef- what the hell is Canadian Thanksgiving? Cecil and I couldn't figure it out last week. I think technically it's like Columbus Day or some shit. I mean, I don't really agree with Thanksgiving as a holiday to begin with, but, you know, I wanted to spend time with family. Like, I don't actually agree with Christopher Columbus and whatnot. You know what you can agree with? Going to adamandeve.com, using the promo code DRONE, and you would get 10 free gifts on top of whatever you order. You'd get six free DVDs, a free mystery gift, a gift for him, a gift for her, and free U.S. shipping. Sorry, Peter, if you go to (laughs) adamandeve.com and use the promo code DRONE. Now, tonight, it's still being the Halloween season, but not quite Halloween yet. We talk about horror movies a lot on this show. I mean, the three of us are huge horror movie fans. What about horror in other mediums, like comic books and video games and TV? What is your favorite horror TV show? It it can be an episode, an ongoing series, something like that. But when you think of horror on TV, what do you think of? Well, I really love the uh, Tales from the Crypt TV show. That's one that I always revisit a lot. And even the the very first episode is really impressive with uh, William Sadler. And that's one that I always revisit a lot. Might sound dorky, but I was really into Supernatural for a while as well. But Twilight Zone, not Twilight Zone, uh, Tales from the Crypt, that's one that I always go back to. I just, I love that show and just the writing is so on point and you've got all the great horror directors and writers coming in and and doing their own episodes. And that's, that's the one I would like, to me, would be the definitive horror TV show that will always stand the test of time for me. I, I wouldn't go Tales from the Crypt, but there's one episode. Remember the Morton Downey Jr. Haunted House episode? Which, um, which season? Two, I think, where Morton Downey Jr. is a sleazy TV reporter, you know, doing a Halloween report on a haunted house, but the house really is haunted. And half <laughs> of it is kind of found footage, and half of it is the the more violent the ghost gets, the ratings go up, so the sleazy producers are actually trying to egg the ghost on. Yeah. I thought that was a fantastic one. Yeah, that was a really good one. Uh, I'd have to go with uh, Friday the 13th, the TV series Uh, that, that you know, even though it it was not, you know, Jason related, just the whole concept of uh, the uh, was it Curious Goods? Curious Goods was the very generically named antique store. (laughs) And they just had to go 
and reclaim all of these haunted artifacts. And the writing in it was so great because each artifact had this really cool backstory to go along with it. And it was genuinely creepy. There were some some shows that were a little more humor than they were horror. But the ones where they were horror, they were scary. They were genuinely creepy. And uh, it was funny uh, when it was... I remember it being on here around like seven o'clock and it was, it always seemed early for that kind of show. I mean, it was funny though, because they had monsters and tales from the dark side were on around then. So I think back in the day, seven was kind of the, the time for that, but God now probably would have, people are so sensitive. Something like that would be pushed on to like 10 o'clock or something. Oh no, but, it uh, was, it, no, it was then too, because see Friday the 13th, the series was first run syndication, which meant whatever local station had it, usually a Fox affiliate, they, they could air it whenever they wanted, as long as they aired it within Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. They could air it at whatever time they wanted. That and Freddy's Nightmares were specifically solicited as a late night show for adults. But some stations found that they got better ratings if they aired it earlier in the evening, like with <laughs> you. Mm-hmm. And they got tons of complaints. That's th- that's actually the reason that the show was canceled. Season three, its final season was the highest rated of the season or of of the show. In fact, it only came in just behind Star Trek The Next Generation for first run syndication ratings. But Paramount was sick of the complaints because the show was so creepy and violent. So your station is one of the reasons that they were canceled. Son of a bitch. And uh, I'll throw in another one uh, for more recent horror TV shows that I really dig. I like uh, Netflix's Hemlock Grove a lot. I think uh, that is a really cool, very unique, well, (laughs) TV show, but I guess I guess it would probably be more considered Internet show since it's Netflix. But well, people consider Orange is the New Black a TV program, too. So, well, I mean, you know, it's you watch it on the TV, so I guess it's a TV program. But yeah, so but that's uh, that's one that I really dig. I would have to go when I think of horror on TV, I I, I go to three different places because I have three different subgenres that I think all qualify. One would be the horror TV movie, like the original Night Stalker from 1972, the the Kolchak pilot. That is one of the most well-done, well-written, well-directed, atmospheric TV movies for horror I have ever seen. But then, and I know Cecil will agree with me, and I hope Peter does, the episode Inside the Closet of Tales from the Dark Side is one of the creepiest things I have ever seen. Still, if I watch that episode on DVD, I have to check under the bed before I go to bed. Peter, you know what I'm talking about, right? I haven't seen uh, Tales from the Dark Side, so I can't really comment on that. Cecil, you know that freaking creepy little Tom Savini creature, huh? Oh, God. That thing, that's right up there with the um, with the, the voodoo fetish doll from uh, Trilogy of Terror. Or, or, or the monster on the wing in Twilight Zone, the movie. Good God, does that <laughs> oh, thing God. creep me out? There's something yeah. on the wing of the plane. No, I'm talking John Lithgow, not Shadow. Oh, you're talking the Lithgow version. The, the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the movie with, yeah, that thing. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, that thing was, well, they're, <laughs> they're both they're both creepy, but uh, yeah. Yeah, the Lithgow mm-hmm. one is creepier. Yeah. And, then, and then I would go with uh, the 1985 Twilight Zone series. That actually had some horror episodes that were so genuine that even the president of CBS let them go commercial free for over 20 minutes because he agreed like episodes such as William Friedkin's Nightcrawlers, putting a commercial in the middle of it where it traditionally would go would destroy the tension. Mm. You know when you're when the president of CBS says, we'll forgo a commercial break because this thing is so damn scary, you're doing something right. 
unfortunately, modern day horror on TV seems to be gore. They don't seem to know atmosphere or tone anymore. Like, to me, The Walking Dead, it's not a horror series. Yeah, it's got zombies and stuff in it, but it's not a horror series. The only horror elements are the massive amounts of gore and the pointless jump scares. Never understood how zombies can shuffle along, yet be completely silent until they spring on you. Then all of a sudden they're... That's just bad writing, but that's beside me. <laughs> but modern horror doesn't seem to have it. Like, Vampire Diaries? No, you're not a horror series. Yeah, you're about vampires. You're not a horror series. Vampire Diaries, uh, I watched like the first uh, season, and uh, I kind of just lost track of it. I didn't dislike the show. It was definitely not a horror show. It was a teen drama that had vampires in it, and it had a little bit of occasional horror, but it wasn't particularly scary. And I didn't mind that because that's not what they were going for. I mean, it was based off of a, of a, a teen, uh, a young adult book series. So, of course, it's not going to be, um, you know, something hard and violent and whatnot. Uh, so I didn't particularly mind it all that much. I think Supernatural does a really good job with it. I think that they, they do a good job of, uh, of making it something that uh, is scary and has a cool story and is, is palatable for the early evening audience. I think it's on at like nine or I, I've stopped watching it. <laughs> on regular uh, TV a while ago, and I've just been catching up on the uh, the episodes on Netflix. But then, uh, I don't know, I like The Walking Dead a lot. I, I think that, uh, you know, the whole zombie The reason thing... I watch The Walking Dead is so I can pick apart the stupid decisions every character makes every week. Because they you always watch it so make you the... piss and moan about it. Yeah, they always... Okay, if you've got four options, you know, it's like the Terminator drop-down menu. They always have four options, and the characters always choose the stupidest option out of all of the ones presented to them. I guess because the writers <laughs> go, uh, we need a zombie attack right now, so the character has to act like a f***ing moron. Eh, I don't know. I, I think that it's, uh, it's, it's, oh, it's, it's been a very entertaining series for me. I, I haven't, uh, I haven't disliked it at all. And I know a lot of people are, are pissing and moaning about certain things, uh, where, oh, it's not enough violence. Oh, or they're, or they're having an episode where they do a lot of character development. Oh, boring show. Nothing happened. I'm like, holy crap. Are you kidding me? It bugs me that, uh, a lot of people that they do try to appeal to are the ones that are bitching and moaning about it and thankfully the show hasn't really gone downhill as far as i'm concerned i think the show's quality is still up there and i'm really enjoying it and uh, I, I that's one where i don't see i can't complain about it at all i've enjoyed almost every episode so you're you're what's wrong with it fair enough yeah but i don't go no i'm not what's wrong with it because it's like i don't like when when they have an episode where no one dies I don't go on Twitter and be like, ah, nobody died this episode. Ah, stupid. This show's going downhill. That's always what kills me. They'll have one episode where they'll focus on the characters and like they'll just kind of show their daily life. And then the, immediately people go on Twitter and start pissing and moaning about how the, the show sucks now. And it's like there's one episode where they try to do some character development. People lighten the hell up. Not a fan of a lot of them. Um, I tried to follow Walking Dead, kind of gave up around after season two, maybe beginning of season three. I just, uh, I don't know, found it to kind of lack subtlety, and it was just 
felt more like generic action rather than like a good blend of horror and action like the good old uh, Romero films and some of the Fulci ones. And of course, Return of the Living Dead is a great blend of it with comedy as well. It's just it didn't feel like enough to really follow. I don't really like American Horror Story. Not a, definitely not a fan of any of the, the vampire things. Like Vampire Diaries, I find to be shit. True Blood, I find to be shit. I do, however, like Supernatural. Uh, that's one that I've also been following for a long time. And I consider... I actually consider True Detective to be pretty horror-based, especially season one as a very, like, uh, psychological thriller slasher kind of thing, like very Silence of the Lambs, but grittier and sleazier, and same with season two. Um, I would actually, I would probably consider True Detective to be the most solid horror-based and horror-influenced show, even though I'm, I know it's meant to be more of a crime drama, but I think there are a lot of really good horror elements in it that make it feel like a, a sort of sleazy uh, horror action film from like the mid 80s or something. I that, That's one that I that I'm encouraging as many people as I can to watch, especially season two. Like, holy shit, lots of really great, uh, creepy, atmospheric moments in that show. Great soundtrack and mood. So that and like Supernatural would be the ones that like I, I've actually been paying attention to and everything else. It's just it just can't really quite uh quite keep my attention all that long well when it comes to the older horror tv what do you prefer where you are now as you know an older adult are you able to watch old 60s outer limits episodes and still get creeped out by those goddamn zanti misfits and those the freaking noise that they make or <laughs> or are you able to to watch old kolchak episodes and still go this must have been terrifying to 70s audiences when they saw this old tales from the dark sides or anything like that freddy's nightmares do you think the older stuff holds up to a modern audience and that said they're rebooting a lot of these like they're trying to make a new version of tales from the dark side i don't know if tales from the dark side can work in today's market that's an 80s thing i think with with those uh, older shows i think it really depends on the writing of the episode and how because, I mean, it, it can be hit and miss, but I think there are a lot of older episodes of The Twilight Zone that still really hold up. The the Xanti Misfits one, I fully agree with. Uh, even the 90s Outer Limits, I, I felt, still had a lot of creepy episodes. I, I still get creeped out when I watch Sand Kings. With old, you know, the old Twilight Zones, the old Outer Limits, uh, and then the 90s ones and all that, I, I still think can hold up. And I think they can hold up for a modern audience because certain episodes are still just that good and i think it can still it can creep out anybody from any any generation if if you're if you're into horror you're into it if you're not then you're not if you're into more of the like a more of the modern jump scare thing you're probably not going to like it but the people that are into like actual mood and and atmosphere and really building building up something to be creepy those are the people that really get it and that really that really enjoy it because I mean the, the people that that do the whole Netflix thing just binge watch the shit out of everything so I can see people really get in getting into the whole anthology thing and and I think there's still a, a place for that and there's still a lot of people who love stuff like Tales from the Crypt and and all the, all those shows where it's uh, not quite episodic it's like a different thing happens each time and I think there are people that enjoy that and it, it can be marketable I think that that's something that can definitely work especially in the whole Netflix generation because it it gives uh, people a lot to watch because every episode is something new and I think that's that's something that can really draw an audience in that's what drew me uh, into not just um, anthology horror shows but anthology horror movies like you you want to see all these stories uh, told 
in you know in the span of an hour or two all these different ones and experience all these different directors and and different uh different stories and outcomes and i think that's really cool to get that in an episodic sense so i can really see that um hitting a mark with with a lot of people especially in the in the netflix uh binge watching generation well just one thing uh going back a smidge i wanted to say that oh my god i agree true blood is shit I watched the I watched the pilot. I, I got a screener of the pilot maybe two months before it aired, and I was like, eh, maybe. I'm like, it's not terrible. And then I watched the second episode when it aired, and I'm like, yeah, I'm done. Yeah, no, <laughs> my my wife and I we usually have a three episode rule where when we watch a new show, the pilot, because you know a lot of times the pilot is shot way in advance of the actual. And series. there have been great shows that have terrible pilots. Exactly. So we usually give that a go. So it's like, so if we watch a show and, the, and we're not feeling the pilot, we would always give it two more episodes. So we watched the pilot and we were like, Ugh. and then we watched the first episode and we got about halfway through the first episode and we both looked at each other. And we're like, nope, like and shut it off. It was like, can't just can't do it. And it's the only show that we've ever bailed that early on where it's like we didn't even give it three episodes before we were just like, no, fuck. And, I've since I had a, a friend of mine, uh, his wife was really into it. And one night we were hanging out and it, of course, was coming on. So we we sat around, and we're watching it. And I'm like, I'm so glad I bailed on the show. I'm watching what's going on. I'm like, oh, he's he's banging this girl and he, he twists her head off. It sucks. I, I saw some of the previews <laughs> what, like on, like when I was watching Real Time with Bill Maher and stuff. And I'd see the previews for like, you know, what's coming up next week. And I wasn't even watching the show. And I'm like, my God, this is. This is more ridiculous than a daytime soap. And what what kills me is uh, I read the books. The books are phenomenal. And they basically took the structure, they took the characters from the books and made a TV show that's completely different. Like everything in them, for the most part, story-wise, is just so far removed from the books it's ridiculous so that just is is insanity so yeah true blood's one of those shows where it became this huge hit and i'm like piece of sh garbage really people yeah i ugh, that show i'm glad it's over well they've tried to reboot well they or i should say they did reboot the twilight zone at least once in 2002 and, and that was horrendous the 1985 was reboot really was great though Oh, they had, so it's been so it's been rebooted twice. Yeah, the 1985 reboot went from 85 to 89, and that was fantastic. That actually had a lot of the producers. I mean, Rod Serling was dead at that point, but mm -hmm. from the original Twilight Zone. So that actually is part of the reason that one was so respectfully good. Mm -hmm. and then the 2002 one, uh, the less said about that, the better. <laughs> and then they rebooted The Outer Limits twice, I believe. No, only once. That it was in 95. Okay, technically twice, because Showtime canceled it after season seven, and then Sci-Fi picked it up two years later for one more season. But it was really a continuation of the Showtime years. So right. not really, because the Sci-Fi channel was still part of the Showtime package, really. But didn't they have the episode, uh, there, I think it was, I guess Sci-Fi had it, where uh, Alyssa Milano was the sex alien? Oh no, that was way in the Showtime stuff because she got naked in that. Oh really? Okay, I thought. I thought <laughs> yeah, that was... was that was like a really early season one Showtime one. Yeah, she got naked in that one. Okay, because well, I saw it on Sci-Fi, but I saw like the censored version. Okay, yeah, because yeah, Sci-Fi ran reran them and they reran. They cut the... out all the nudity. <laughs> all right. 
Um, I don't know. I think it's it's weird. Anthology stuff. I mean, isn't that kind of uh, what Amer- I've never seen American Horror Story because I have zilch interest American in Horror. Okay, isn't each season its own self-contained story? Yeah. Yeah, my my ex-wife watched the first three or four seasons of American Horror Story, and I despise it. It is, hey, we can do this, so let's. It's the definition of, there's no reason it needs to be this violent or this sexual, but we can get away with it, so let's do it. Which is, I think, Mm. the totally wrong reason to have gore or sex in something, just because. But... It's so pretentious. If you read an interview with any of the writers or producers, they think they are absolutely redefining television with that piece of crap show. I hate American Horror Story. No, it's fine. I, I can't say like I, I just know that what I've seen from it, it just it looks like pandering stuff. So I really didn't have any interest in it. So but I've never actually watched it. So I can't say that it's garbage. I'm just saying that uh, to me, it looked like it was bad and uh, considering some okay. of the, some I, of the people that I know that I have vastly different tastes from the fact that they were really into it was kind of um a way for me to see all right if these people really like it it probably stinks the only the only thing I'll say is I think season 2 was the witch season Lily Rab as a Stevie Nicks inspired wit swamp witch. I have to admit, she was hot as hell as a Stevie Nicks swamp witch. Mm-hmm. I will say that. I'll just put that out there. And mm-hmm. she was a rapist nun in uh, the Asylum season, which I guess mm-hmm. was season two, mm-hmm. couple season three. I guess I don't know. I, I really like Lily Rab because she's just really, really hot. And I don't know her as a rapist nun and as a Stevie Nicks swamp witch. I'm sorry, I'm into that. Someone's got to be. Well, you have you have weird taste. I know. I thought I thought the principal in Parker Lewis can't lose was freaking hot. I don't know if it's my castrating bitch fetish or what. <laughs> <laughs> Go, going to the whole thing, uh, I, I guess uh, anthologies can work. Uh, I guess it kind of depends on who's doing them, and it seems more now that with something like American Horror Story that people want shock value. So if they kind of do something and they up the shock value and they do each episode where it ends on like some big shocking moment, then it'll probably do well. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that it'll be bad. I mean, if you look at it technically, Tales from the Crypt, every episode ended on a huge shock and a fair amount of gore and a decent amount of nudity as well. So that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be bad. It just there there has to be a reason for it, and they have to have some level of subtlety to it. You know, it mm-hmm. it just just don't do it, and you know, really like don't don't true blood it, so, which is what American Horror Story does. The, I don't think they understand what I don't think they know what the word subtlety means. Like we're I was talking with a buddy of mine the other night. We were talking about Tales from the Crypt episodes, and uh, we we're talking about the the Joe Pesci episode. It it ends with with Joe Pesci being sawed in half. And because these two, he was dating two twin girls yep. and he was fooling them into thinking that he was two people. And when they found out that he was just mm. one person, they both were fighting over him. And so they didn't want to give him up. So they sawed him in half and one got one half and one got the other. How about the Bo Bridges episode where he's still alive while being autopsied? Oh, yeah. <laughs> where he gets uh, he he got the uh, he got the serum or whatever. Yeah. And they thought he was dead. And yeah. Or or the uh, the one with the. um. The one with the cat with the nine lives. That was actually part of the pilot. Yeah, with with Joe Pantiolano. Where he thought he had... Wait a minute, the cat died once! Yeah, and he was like, no! Oh, it was great. Yeah, Tales from the Crypt, when they were on, man, they were freaking on. They had some It was just the last couple of seasons when they weren't. 
Well, the last you know, of seasons were weak, man. Sometimes you have a lot of shows where they the the producers want it to keep going, but they really can't. You know, it's just that the the heart's just not there anymore, or the talent's just not there anymore, and they they really keep plowing ahead, and people keep watching out of uh, I guess loyalty. But uh, hoping, like, kind of like The Simpsons. You know, they keep hoping for, like, that one or two good episodes. And they're almost watching it out of, um, like, ritual. just habit and ritual at this point. Well, did you guys yeah. ever see the spinoff of Tales from the Crypt, Perversions of Science? Uh, no. Ye- it only lasted that- ten episodes because it was not the... It, they, they launched it when Crypt was dying. Oh, you know what? I was <laughs> I was just thinking of uh, not, not Perversions of Science the hell was it there was a show not terribly long ago it was something of science but it was like um no this is like 97 oh god no no this was maybe like 2010 or something where it was uh it was a a show kind of a horror sci-fi show skinamax show so it was like the this company was creating clones of people as like toys oh no see perversions (laughs) of science perversions of science actually had amazingly unique episodes such as okay you guys all know about the war of the worlds broadcast and how you know people thought it was real right right this posited jamie kennedy and jason lee you remember this is 1997 neither of them are famous yet and the episode's written by andrew kevin walker for god's sake jamie kennedy and jason lee are at a halloween party and they're dressed as aliens and they hear Orson Welles' War of the Worlds broadcast and think it's real. But they are actually Martians who are undercover scouting for a real Martian invasion. And they think the invasion's begun without them. So they go on a rampage across the country thinking that their Martian brethren are going to come to their aid. You tell me that's not <laughs> freaking brilliant. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, and the show I'm thinking of is Forbidden Science. Oh, mm. okay. No, I, I haven't I haven't seen that one. I'll have to look that one up. But no, Perversions of Science, I, I recommend... If nothing else, the episode The Exile, where Jeffrey Combs is an is a Adolf Hitler-style criminal on an, an advanced alien planet where they have completely done away with crime. Ron Perlman is a crazy prison inmate, and David Warner is the, is the uh, chief judge. And I won't ruin the plot twist, but my Hitler analogy is not that far off. Oh God! Are they on like Netflix or not Netflix? Are they I highly on, doubt like, they're on Netflix. Like DVD or anything? I highly doubt they're on. I know they're not on DVD, and I highly doubt they're on Netflix. But yeah, I'd say look up. It only lasted ten episodes, ninety-seven perversions of science. Uh, out of the out of the ten episodes, there's maybe two duds. Mm. I mean, hell, William Shatner directed and stars in an episode where Kevin Pollak is a space pilot who his entire crew has died except for the android who is a sexy robot who wants to have sex with him, but he's betrothed to William Shatner's daughter, who is the general of the army. The daughter, who is actually played by Melanie Shatner, can't have sex with him until they're married, so he has sex with the robot, and then she breaks and his dick gets stuck in her, and he has to try and hide that until he can get it off before Shatner finds him. That's an episode <laughs> directed by William Shatner, no less. That's wow. amazing. Yeah, I'm going to probably find... I, I'm sure Perversions of Science is going to be torrented like hell after this episode pops up. Seriously. Absolutely. <laughs> Peter's like, I want to see this now. Yep. <laughs> All right, let, let's go to some other mediums. What about video games? What about horror video games? What do you consider a horror video game? Something with atmosphere or or just shooting zombies. Like, is Dead Rising a horror video game? 
Or is Fatal Frame a horror video game? It needs to have atmosphere to technically be a horror game. I don't really consider like a game like Dead Rising where you just run around slaughtering zombies to be a horror game. To me, I, I consider uh, like one of my favorite horror games is the Rockstar game Manhunt. Uh, where you're basically surviving a snuff film. You're like an uh, ex-convict uh, that was on death row who's given a second chance. Isn't that that if one he... that was actually rated M.A.? Well, well yeah, I think you're really, it's really or whatever it is. Well, no, you're thinking of the sequel. The sequel got the A.O. and they weren't able to release it on uh, on consoles until they like censored it. And the funny thing was, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't worse than the first one it's just that it no. happened at the wrong time when the whole yeah. jack thompson thing was going on and and okay. you know but that that's a game that i i really love that one it creates great mood it's super creepy and i love the the story of like death row inmate given a second chance if you survive this like crazy snuff director's world where he's using all these like serial killers and gangs and you have to like fight through them and stalk through them and like hide and play cat and mouse and all this shit. and it's just really f***ing creepy and like satisfying at the same time when you're when you're killing people because you're like surviving and shit. Silent Hill I would consider to be a good example even like the old uh, Splatterhouse games I felt had had some cool mood and atmosphere and, and great music I mean even if it was like a beat-em-up um all the all the creature designs were like uh, very very like Stuart Gordon-esque meets Lovecraft meets like David Cronenberg and you're just in the, the creepy mansion and the music is cool and if I'm remembering I don't remember if it was Slaughterhouse 1 or 2 don't you smack open corpses on the walls and aborted babies fall out at one point that was 2 yeah, that's 2 <laughs> that, that's a horror game yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and to me, I consider the Splatterhouse games to be some of the best when it comes to like survival horror. And it was one of the earliest when it's uh, when it comes to that. Like, uh, I mean, I know, obviously, Friday the 13th for the NES came out a lot, like way before that. And it's it's technically a survival horror game. But Splatterhouse is just it's such a satisfying game. And the music is almost like King Diamond esque. Like, it's just such a the whole thing as the coolest vibe and there's just nothing cooler than running around as a buff dude in a hockey mask like just bludgeoning scary monsters in a creepy mansion like that's just one of the most kick-ass concepts of, of, of course all you time. would think that you're a Absolutely. buff dude that has hockey masks <laughs> exactly i i what can i say i i relate to rick what about some what about like the resident evil games because to me the resident evil games at least the first three were actually quite moody you know, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, you got the pixelated graphics and polygons and all that, but they actually did a decent job of creating mood, and then it turned into an action series after that. But yeah. I'd say Code Veronica was the last one that actually tried to get moody. Maybe the the GameCube remake and Zero, maybe a little bit, but those were more action-oriented. What about something like the Resident Evil games, though? I agree with that. Um, at least the... um. I've always found the second one to be probably the most solid in terms of like creepy, moody atmosphere. It almost feels like a Romero flick. I'd actually um, go with Code Veronica on that one. Yeah, the early ones were definitely a little bit creepier. Code Veronica was solid. It, it, the series did kind of devolve into more of an action-based thing, and I think that maybe be possibly because of the movies they were maybe trying to make it more like that to make them more appealing to fans of the films. But I love the I love the first three, uh, second one especially. That's um. That's another game that I like um, going back and, and replaying like that uh, Silent Hill Manhunt games like that survival horror games where you have to think you have to conserve your ammo you have to you know hide sometimes and run sometimes and like 
trick your enemies rather than just running around and you know bludgeoning them to death. Like you, you actually have to have to think a little bit. And there's great um, there's great mood and atmosphere and, and music and even for like the time that it came out, even if it was a bit pixelated, like the game still looked great and and really had like this cinematic quality about it without being too much like a movie and still enough like a really satisfying uh, gaming horror experience. I've been told, I have not played it yet due to my financial issues, that Alien Isolation is supposed to be one of the most white-knuckle games in a long time. People have said it's the most creepy, tense-filled game that's come out in decades. You will crap your pants. It is... <laughs> it is. I mean, I'm kind of a, a horror game connoisseur. I mean, I, I love the Resident Evil games. I love uh, Silent Hill uh, series. Uh, there's actually... A game I wanted to mention. Uh, there's, uh, it was a survival horror, little bit of action called The Suffering. That uh, the creatures in it were were made by Stan Winston. Alien Isolation is, it's from this new, like there's a kind of a new breed of of horror games where you can't fight back. Like you basically you have to find a way to get away uh, or use the environment to kind of help you to fight off the creature. So, um, you know, and, and the thing is with Alien Isolation, they made the AI really smart on the alien. I've actually heard so. that they, I actually heard that they overcompensated. People said on the normal level, the alien is actually too smart. Some people said to actually make the game fair, you have to play it on beginner because <laughs> the norm, because you die so often on normal that they're like the aliens too smart for the normal gameplay. Well, you'll like you'll you'll hear the alien and you're like crap and you go and you hide you'll hide in like a locker and you're looking through like the the slats of the locker and you see the alien and the alien just kind of catches a glimpse of you it just runs over and rips you out of the locker and kills you and you're like son of a <laughs> bitch there's one uh where it was these awesome little moments like uh you have to go uh get information on the uh on the ship's computer and you're working on the computer and all of a sudden you hear a noise behind you. And before you have a chance to react, the camera pans down and you just see the alien mouth bust through like your chest. And you're like, son of a bitch. The thing with Cecil playing games, he has good, bad games on his on his ch YouTube channel. And the problem with him is he sucks. A first-person shooter becomes a worst-person shooter when Cecil's at the helm. I'm good at certain kinds of games. I'm good at uh, I'm good at survival horror games. I'm good at RPGs. No, you're not. I saw you play that one on the boat. You sucked. Well, no, I play. I was bad on that because the freaking the game kept pausing every like you know uh, it had a glitch where it kept pausing all the time. I was I was fine in that. I didn't die all that much. Sure, sure, Peter, huh? But uh, no, yeah, well, uh, yeah. Cold Fear was Cold Fear was a cool game, but um. You know, it was Resident Evil on a boat. But yeah, so, there's a lot of great, great horror video games that uh, um, don't get the attention that the Resident Evil games get. The newer Resident Evil and the new Resident Evil games, I like them, but yeah, they're not. They, they've stopped being horror a while ago. Well, I mean, I should say they stopped being straight up horror. They're they're horror action, you know, which I still think has has its place. What about then, like uh, comic books? You guys, are you horror comic book connoisseurs? What what would be a horror comic that you like, either modern or classic? 
Well, obviously, gotta go to gotta go with Tales from the Crypt again. Um, I love all those old EC comics. That's very classic. Um, yeah, fifties. Yeah. Um, I've also I've read a lot of like the tie-in stuff. Uh, I read some of the. There was like a Friday the 13th comic that came out for a while and it was just kind of following, I guess, like the adventures of, of Jason and, and stuff like that. And those were pretty cool. I think those came out kind of the 2003, 2004 or something like that. I don't know if you guys remember that run. That was kind of a fun one to follow. And just like random stuff like that. I, like Tales from the Crypt in particular is one that I really, really love. Just the the artwork was so badass. And a, and a lot of that style is is what influences my own uh, artwork when I do graphic design and stuff like that. So I, I love I love horror comics. I love the I guess I would consider the the alien comics or definitely horror. I love the I've, I love me some horror video games and uh, some horror shows and horror comics too. Namely, namely the Tales from the Crypt stuff because I don't know the I feel like the the artwork in those really really can't be beat. They they manage to kind of draw the way like. Dario Argento films like it. It's got this great, like cool, moody neon look to it on a, you know, on a comic book panel and the great like line work and everything. So it's it's not only something that I really love looking at and reading, but I feel like it's really um, influenced my own work over the years. I agree with you on like, you know, the old EC stuff and all that. Maybe it's just me being the curmudgeon I am. I don't see the modern horror comics working as well. The modern horror comics, especially if they're from an independent studio, they seem to have the American Horror Story philosophy. Yeah. We can, so let's. They seem to be graphic for the sake of graphic, not for the sake of the story. And I don't like that. Now, obviously, that's not all modern horror comics. But when I was coming up, I was reading stuff like Faust from North Star. That was insanely graphic. I was reading the James O. Barr stuff, the Hart Fisher stuff, you know, Verotic and all that. And that stuff was all very graphic, yet it doesn't it didn't seem as excessive as the stuff that's coming out nowadays. Maybe that's just my perception, but I think we've lost what a horror comic is. But then again, you had the really sanitized stuff, which I still like, like the DC Comics House of Secrets, House of Mystery stuff from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. I really got mm. a kick out of those. They had a nice atmosphere. Arguably the best mainstream horror comic, Marvel's 70-issue run of Tomb of Dracula. The Marv mm. Wolfman, Gene Colan stuff. That That's stuff, the one that uh, that in, that introduced uh, Blade, right? Yes, Blade, Hannibal King, Rachel yeah, Van Helsing, were... and all that. I loved because that was moody, arguably separated from the Marvel universe. Yeah, the X Men fought Dracula, and Wolverine killed Rachel <laughs> Van Helsing, and you know Spider Man appeared in an issue or two. But arguably, it took place in its own little pocket Marvel universe, and it was mm -hmm. moody. Gene Colan's art was fantastic in that. So I would say yeah. like something like Tomb of Dracula is where I go for mainstream horror stuff. If I had to go underground or indie stuff, it would be like like Faust or the stuff North Star was putting out, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s. I read um, a lot of the, the Danzig comics in like the 90s. Verotic. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were they were great. It was funny because you had to like give them like ID in order to freaking buy the comics. That that was because <laughs> of Hart Fisher and Christian Moore's A Taste of Cherry in Verotic Number Four. That mm. that that issue was declared legally obscene. Wow. An Oklahoma City comic book store was was arrested for selling obscene material to an adult by selling them Verotica Number Four due to Good the God. A Taste of Cherry story. Ugh. So yeah, yeah they had that... to show ID because of Verotica Number Four. Thanks, Hart. Yeah, thanks, Hart. <laughs> but yeah, I read the uh, I read the Danzig comics. I read um, 
Uh, I read some of the Marvel zombie stuff, and um, I know there's other horror comics. Uh, I never really got into them very much because a lot of times they just didn't really didn't really capture me all that much. A lot of times they just would go overboard on certain things. So I think I, I really missed the boat because I remember when uh, Walking Dead was uh, huge and um, they were constantly pushing that. And for whatever reason, I just was like, ah, I don't zombies. I don't give a crap. <laughs> and then it ends up being this <laughs> humongous the, the thing. Are, and The comics for Walking Dead are just as bad as the TV show with we need a we need an action scene. So a character has to act stupid. Well, I know. It, I mean, I know it now because I've since uh, acquired them and, and read a bunch of them. And, uh, you know, they're they're similar but different from the uh, the TV series. And I disagree with you and you're stupid. The Walking Dead comic. Um, I actually that's one that I that I read and enjoyed. I actually have a big thing of like. I think it's like all of the issues or something all in one big thing, or at least like the older ones. I highly doubt it's all of them considering there's over. Yeah, but it's like a big, like it's a big, like thick uh, giant, giant thing. I do like it better than the show. And I think the, the artwork is really cool. I dig the whole like, you know, black and white uh, kind of like graphic novel look to it and the line work. It's uh, reminiscent more of like, uh, you know, old school comics where like the one thing that I don't like about a lot of modern horror comics, is not so much that they're gratuitous. It's that I, I don't really like a lot of modern art style where they they make characters look too uncanny valley and it looks more rotoscoped than like actually doing something creative. It's too clean, yeah. right? Yeah, there's no like actual... They don't attempt to do any kind of cool lighting. They don't use color. You know, they don't have like one, you know, a light hitting a character's face. It might be like, you know, it's in like a nighttime and it's like blue is on one side and you got a bit of like white and you're creating like atmosphere or like reds and greens, which a lot of the modern horror comics aren't doing, which which is why I can appreciate what Walking Dead does. I mean, it's it's got this nice black and white look and the line art is really cool and, and it looks like it has its own art style rather than just, yeah, this really just generic, uh, probably rotoscoped and actor kind of look. Um, I find that to be really boring. And uh, so I can appreciate the the Walking Dead comics for, for doing what they do. I think they're they're actually really solid. I would say what what you guys need to check out, and you can get them easy in trade paperback, are the Swamp Thing, Alan Moore, Stephen Bissett, John Toblin volumes. You oh, want to talk? God. You want to talk atmosphere? Those comics, those issues. It started with Saga of the Swamp Thing, twenty one through maybe sixty. Those things are all atmosphere. Mm. They are so good. That's also where you'll find the or you know the first appearance of John Constantine. Well, all his early nice. appearances really is in those early swamp <laughs> things. Then okay, how about we how about we go to novels or, or you know, printed work, literature, horror literature. I think his modern stuff might not be as good. Go back and read Clive Barker's Books of Blood stuff from the early 80s. That mm. stuff is so amazing. That that stuff is so unique. Yes, it's not all horror. Stuff like in the hills and the cities and all that is is definitely more fantasy based. My God, you go read those books of blood. They are so original and so visceral. It, it, it's a very real thing with no supernatural elements, but the story dread, not the terrible movie. I'm not talking Judge <laughs> Dread or anything, but they made a terrible movie out of the Clive Barker story Dread. Don't base it on that. Go and read the story. It is one of the most disturbing, could really happen stories you'll ever encounter. I love Clive Barker. Um... His work is amazing. I'm also a big, uh, big Lovecraft guy. A lot of his, uh, a lot of stories, you know, Rats in the Walls or Shadow over Innsmouth, uh, Call of Cthulhu, all these, all those ones, like still reading them today. Started when I was a kid and I, I'm reading them now, even now, like I get chills. 
when it comes to Lovecraft, I'm actually more into his science fiction stuff. Like From Beyond, such a unique, beautiful idea. I'm yeah. into I'm actually into more his fantasy science fiction stuff than I am his horror stuff. Is that weird that he's known as a horror author and yet I like his sci-fi stuff better? Well, the thing is, he always he managed to blend them both really well because when it comes to his creatures, they they're aliens or at least most of them are. Like Cthulhu is a crash-landed alien god thing. Like um he he created this fusion of these two genres of science fiction and of, of horror and it's probably why he didn't become recognized until way later because that was such a new thing and I, I think with him as a writer it's not so much that he was just a horror guy or just a science fiction guy I think you you look at it as both he he coined his own genre the whole cosmic cosmic terror cosmic horror uh science gone wrong with stories like from beyond which reading that short story again is one of the ones that holy shit that one really gives me chills as well just the idea of from beyond that somebody thought of that in like yeah. 1918 or whatever year that that was written how far yeah. ahead of the curve was lovecraft to have even thought now guys you can't base it on the movie from beyond basically the story it's different but it's the entire pre-credit sequence of the movie. The first five minutes are the story, yeah. essentially, but with pyramids and manservants because it was the 1800s and you could do that. Then, or the early 1900s, you could do that then. You couldn't get away with the manservants today, but yeah, you know what I mean. What I love about the, the Stuart Gordon movie is that it's pretty much – it opens with the short story and then it's its own kind of continuation of the story and it's – does a solid job of that and really I think it's one of the best like novel or not novel but like short story adapted films like I really love that one both both the short story and the movie does it such justice because it's easily one of the one of Lovecraft's creepiest works and one of Stuart Gordon's just like best adaptations of a of a Lovecraft piece just I love that one to death and Barbara Crampton in the S&M gear is awesome <laughs> yes. I know Cecil will agree with me there oh yeah <laughs> he knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Stephen King is another another great example. I haven't read that many of his works, but like I love of it. I love Misery, Christine, uh, stuff like that. And um, just I think it's it seems to me that just horror is easily one of my favorite things ever because I think I do like pretty much every version of it when it comes to you know there's there's books and short stories and comics and video games and movies and I I, I seem to like all of them equally like i think that's uh it's just a medium that that i love and, and always will love even whether i'm reading it or you know watching it or looking at cool gory atmospheric pictures in a comic book i just i love all aspects of it i, I don't know what it is about me i like the stephen king sci-fi stuff better running man long walk tommy knockers stuff like that i like better than his horror stuff i don't know what that says about me as a horror fan one thing I did forget about to mention uh, during the, the comic book thing when you went into Clyde Barker, I forgot Clyde Barker had the uh, had his horror series a little more uh, comic booky. But there are you was talking, one. Which ones are you talking about? The Hellraiser series or the Nightbreed series? No, I'm talking like Ecto Kid. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Saint Sinner. Yeah. OK, I didn't I didn't like those. Ecto Kid, I, aside from the terrible name. 
And uh, but now it seems a little dated, but it's still it was a good series. It was a it was a kid who he finds out that his father was a ghost and he can jump back and forth between uh, the ectosphere, you know, the ghost world and like the regular world. And there are these like assassins that are trying to kill him because he has the link between the two worlds. And it's actually really cool. And it's pretty like disturbing at some points because of course the uh, the ghost world is just all kinds of weird Clyde Barker and because Clyde Barker yeah. being Clyde Barker uh the ectoplasm just looks like jizz so like <laughs> so like whenever he's he uses like ectoplasm as kind of a weapon and it just looks like he's slinging jizz at people uh, as far as going into horror authors, I mean, yeah, Stephen, you know, Stephen King and then Clyde Barker and um, uh, Dean Koontz are, are, are all uh, just classics, just great people who I love reading. But um, going, you know, I mean, everybody already knows about them uh, going into some different folks. Uh, there's Brian Keene, who is a amazing horror author. He's probably best known for a book called The Rising, which it was a zombie book, but it was a phenomenal zombie book. He uh, the book that turned me onto him was one called The Conqueror Worms. Phenomenal book. Uh, there's another guy, uh, Walter Greatshell. Uh, he did a book series called Zombies and uh, with an X. And uh, it was just an awesome book. And uh, there were, I believe, two sequels after that that were uh, that were also good. But the first one was awesome. And uh, I know they were talking about making that one into a movie. But uh, I, I don't know. I just kind of have it as far as horror authors. I mean, I've already read almost all of King's stuff. And I've read a bunch of Clive Barker stuff. And I've read tons of Dean Coote's stuff. So I've started kind of venturing out into other people. And uh, you, should, you should check you know. out David J. Scow. He, he wrote Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, and he's uh, one of the splatterpunk authors of the 90s. If you guys had to pick, say, a TV episode, a, a comic book, or a novel that is your definitive horror experience that you want to let the audience in on, what would it be? Manhunt, the, the PS2 game that I was uh, I was raving about. Um, I think that really is just one of the, the coolest when it comes to something that's not a horror movie. I find it to be one of the most solid uh, video game experiences when it comes to horror, it, it genuinely makes you feel dirty and creeped out and weirded out and terrified. And I, I think it really just did one of the best jobs ever of, of taking horror and meshing it into a video game, using a bit of action to keep it going and utilizing stealth to create creepy atmosphere and using the shadows. Um, you know, while I love the Tales from the Crypt show and comics, uh, all the other all the other stuff, you know, the Tomb of Dracula stuff was great. Uh, you know, Clive Barker and H.P. Lovecraft and all that all that stuff. Like, I really got to go with um, with that one because that one really probably blew me away more than more than a lot of the ones that that did. And I'm not somebody who plays games like like I love uh, I love playing video games uh, here and there, but that one really had me glued to the screen and playing and just freaked out and really feeling like I was, you know, fighting for my life and surviving this horrific experience. So if there's one that I could, you know, recommend to anybody that's it's not a movie that's from something else, it would be, you know, Rockstar's Manhunt, because that just that game just kicks all kinds of ass. And Cecil's right. The uh, sequel, though, not as I guess not as gritty as the first one was, is still a solid game. And it's awesome that it's come out in its full uncut form. Just Manhunt, you know, one and two just solid awesome shit i gotta go with silent hill uh it, it just doesn't have to that, be a video game it could be a tv show and stuff too uh but i'm still going with silent hill <laughs> <All right. laughs> 
I just love it so much, man. I mean, it's just the the horror aspect of it, the story, the uh, just the, the way that it, it explained things to you and still left you in the dark. Uh, it's just something that uh, is one of those things that can be endlessly dissected and you're still not going to be able to get to, uh, you know, the whole of it. I got to go with the Night Gallery episode, A Question of Fear, starring Leslie Nielsen and Fritz Weaver as one of the most creepy, and it's almost all atmosphere. The, the, the twist at the end is absolutely brilliant. There's, there's a couple of jump scares, but it's one of those full episodes where it almost takes up the entire runtime. A Question of Fear from Night Gallery. Mm. That is so creepy. I can, I can imagine people in the late, I think that would have been season two, so maybe 1970, who saw that. Probably any kid that saw that did not sleep for a day or two. So that would be my pick. Night Gallery is a question of fear. Peter is pretty horrific on his own, but, you know, that's just his face. But where can we see him if we want to see him? You can see my sexy face plastered all over YouTube, uh, the Cinemasochist, uh, on Twitter at Cinematica and on the Facebooks, the Cinemasochist, and, of course, also on 1201 Beyond, uh, scaring the shit out of you and uh, making you a little little wet between pants in the knees area and a bit hard at the same time, too, and making you, making you questioning your, your sexuality and your fears all at the same time. Damn, that's sexy. I know. Cecil, where can people not see you since you only do audio? <laughs> you cannot see me uh, over on escapistmagazine.com, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, uh, goodbadflix.com, all that stuff. Okay, and you can see me and just hear me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Go and check out some of the things we talked about. I'm sure I've just made a whole bunch of perversions of science fans out of a lot of people. Have a good night. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold.
Radio Drome is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.